So today, uh, let's turn to First uh, Peter. And maybe turn my mic down a little bit. I'm a little, I think it might be a little loud. I don't know if, Joy, if you could do that, that'd be great. Uh, and another uh, just announcement, a really tes- testimonial. Uh, earlier this week, uh, some of us were just to be a part of a, a, a gathering of solidarity uh, with the uh, African American community of Bristol. And I am so blessed because uh, Pastor Ramon, his brother, they led such a beautiful, a beautiful non-political event, non-cop bashing event. It was just, let's stand on solidarity, let's stand on justice of the Lord. It was, it was so cool because there's people there that were clearly not believers, like you can just kind of tell. And they're just like, hey, even if you're not believers, you know, we're not going to apologize, but we love Jesus and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to govern this. And it was so powerful to see that happen by the bride of Messiah and a unity that was there. Um, and it was, it was just so beautiful. Uh, and so it was very, I mean, I, I was like, oh, I'm glad I have sunglasses on. Because I just, when the one little girl read her, read her speech, I just like tearing up. You know, I was like, um, Yeah, no, I mean, the tough New Yorker has to, you know, put the sunglasses on so they don't see you tear up, I guess. But it was a very beautiful time. And so, uh, like I said, First Peter, let's, uh, let's go before the Lord and, and pray into this one. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in Philadelphia. We thank you for what you're doing in Bristol, in Bucks County. And Lord, I just pray, particularly for this message, that our hearts would be opened up. Father, I pray against any of the junk any of the mess the world tries to use to block us from really walking out and living out the true nature of the cross. And we pray that in Yeshua, Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. And so we are continuing uh, kind of sort of the sermon series of rediscovering Jesus. I mean, I guess like every Sunday is a notion of rediscovering Jesus, but... Um, and uh, I, 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 I just felt the Lord was just really on this. Um, the living stone in an age of fragility. And I want that to sink in because this is, I think this is a very, very important concept. Uh, the, okay, that's funny. There it is. <laughs> the living stone in an age of fragility. All right. Uh, today, I've got to be honest, uh, for our guests, is a little bit of a different word, I think. We'll see how, how it goes, but... It's a little bit more of, um, of, of real kind of like fatherly type of teaching. I know some of you guys are older than me or the same age, but it's really coming on in a spirit of instruction. Um, and it's a more mature word. Like this is a word where like I, I really feel like you have to dial in, yet you have to really kind of pay attention and I would dare say even put out some of your mis. Uh, your, your preconceived notions of things in, in some regards, because this is, this, is, this is mature faith that we're getting into here. This isn't just like, oh, let me feel all good and leave, although I hope you do feel good and you leave well, but it's, it's an, a part of instruction. And a part of, you know, a part of the functions of a church body, yes, is to edify. Yes, to preach the cross, of course. Uh, but it's to teach and to instruct on how we are to live our lives. And so I think this week, the Lord is just really on it, and there's been a lot of confirmation about it, which I can't get into now because it's just too much. 
But 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 4 through 8. Coming to him as to a living stone. So us coming to him, capital H, to Jesus. We come to him as a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Now you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus the Messiah. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble being disobedient to the word. I want to read that again. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Amen? All right. So, those that are uh, new here, those that have not been here in a while, this is a very kind of like uh, Dave kind of teaching. Because this is like where the, uh, the social studies teacher comes out, right? So bear with me. Like I said, this is a mature word. It's an important word. Important word for us to really understand the times in which we are living in. Okay? So we're going to get into a bunch of kind of weird different things. But not too weird. Those that know me understand. No, it's not about the Bible study. Okay, there we go. All right, uh, there's a, uh, let, let's go on a journey. Let's, let's begin this journey of the living stone by going on a journey of human civilization. Uh, this is a Pulitzer Prize winning book, phenomenal book, read it many moons ago, uh, called Guns, Germs, and Steel. Um, a very powerful book um, discussing some elements of human society, which I want to get into a little bit. And uh, the question um, that is raised in this book is essentially this. Why did certain societies become politically, militarily, and economically dominant on planet Earth? Meaning, why is it that essentially a bunch of Europeans set sail and conquered the New World? Why is it that Native Americans or indigenous peoples in North America or South America did not set sail and go to Europe and conquer Europe? Like, why is it... That one continent, particularly, became so stinking dominant in at least modern history. And he uh, articulates it very, very fantastically. Uh, and uh, he dispels a lot of historical myths. For example, this question of why this all occurred has been asked and answered in unfortunately very profane ways throughout history. For example, uh, the first theory that was done by, by many years ago, and thank the Lord that has been uh, dismantled and disproven and we're over this in many regards. And one idea was, oh, it must just be that uh, Northern, Northern Europeans particularly uh, would just, you know, uh, just, well, they're just smarter. Uh, they have a higher IQ. And with that higher intellect, uh, they're able to go around and, and produce these amazing achievements. Right? Now, fortunately, we have disproven that. Right? We know that there is no differentiation on average IQ test scores uh, between different groups of people. So, okay, it wasn't that. 
This is a whole age of like social Darwinism, and if those of you that are plugged into the social sciences. All right, so they dispel that myth, and then they moved on to, a, a, I think, a very interesting theory. All right, this is what it is. It's not because you're white. It's not because you're European. That, 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 that wouldn't work. It's because you're from a climate on planet Earth that forces you to innovate. Uh, if you live in the North, you are forced to think about next week, next month. The cold is coming. The winter is coming. You have to store food. And the theory was that that generated an innovative culture, which then were able to produce ships and guns and blacksmiths, etc., 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 which was not happening on the continent of Australia, where it's like pretty warm all the time. And so that was a theory that was prevailing for a long time. And now we get to now this guy Jared Diamond's theory, which he says, actually, why is it that people became dominant? It is because of geography. If your ancestry was living in a society that had the correct geographic formula, they could become dominant. Now, what is the correct geographic formula? Essentially, you need to be living in a place where there are animals that can be domesticated so that you can raise animals for meat and a place where you have enough of high-protein-yielding grains that allow society to receive that uh, uh, nutrient. Now, this is a little far-fetched, but I'm just or a little out there, but I'm hoping it's going to make sense. Like I told you, the social studies teacher is coming out. For example, in North America, there is not one native animal that can be domesticated. Not one. Like, you can't domesticate deer and raise them. Like, good luck. Right? Uh, maybe the turkey, but even that doesn't work. And so, what's very interesting here is if, the, if you don't have that, you are forced to be hunter and gatherers. And you're always worried about where the food's going to be. And you always have to chase, and you always have to go. You can't conserve, you can't store up. Now, this is a very powerful concept. Because what's happening here is this. Uh, this type of geography in which you are born into, which would be essentially Europe, China, and India, um, is going to lay down the essentials for a point in time that is going to change human history. So if we take a look at the history of man, we got various points in time that are happening, 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 and then, bing, something really big happens. Uh, depending on who you talk to, somewhere between six, around 6,000 years ago was one of the most amazing events outside of Jesus that has happened to humanity. Uh, and it's called the Agrarian Revolution. What happens here is mankind figures out, oh yeah, look, if we don't eat all of the wheat and we keep some of the seeds and we plant it, we can now have a lot of food. And if we have a lot of food, that means we don't have to roam around anymore. We can stay put. And so what happens economically is this. There is what economists call specialization that happens. If we no longer have to run around on horseback or on foot looking for food, this is the way it works. I can grow crops, you can raise animals, we do not need all of you to find berries in the forest and venison. We don't need all of you to do that anymore. So I'm get, I have enough food for the entire tribe, you have enough animals to give to the entire tribe. What does everyone else do? 
They specialize. You have the birth of writing that happens. Boom, right at the same time. Like, we don't have to run around anymore. I guess I can think about other things. I can think about writing and alphabets. You have the, uh, the, the creation of philosophy, law, deeper understandings of government, blacksmiths, professional military men, professional politicians, because we don't need you to find the food. Essentially what's happening here is civilization is getting a little bit more advanced. Okay. What is happening and how are we going to begin to kind of relate this to a living stone? It's this. Since this point in time, somewhere around 6,000 years ago, some push a little further back, but at, since this point in time, mankind has now had the ability and resources to build his own foundation stones. It's at this point that man gets really safe. And now man can build all of the foundations and all of the grid work for modern society. Okay. Now, we take that. That's like 6,000 years ago plus. Let's just take a look at the, what these foundation stones of specialization of work has done. I mean, it's really crazy. I mean, if we take a look at some of your jobs, like, I am so specialized now as a, as a worker that I'm not like a teacher. I'm a teacher of the social sciences. I'm not just a teacher of the social sciences. I'm a teacher of social sciences of high school kids. Not just high school kids, but specifically the years 10th grade and 12th grade, which means that I cover a very specific time period of what I teach. If you really take a look at your jobs, there's a hyper-specialization that has happened. It creates the advancement of human civilization, and it happened, and it began at this agrarian revolution. But we take a look at just the last 100 years, we have seen in the last 100 years an unimaginable advancement in the creation of foundational stones for humanity. A little over 100 years ago, the Morse code. For Morse code, Radio, from radio, typewriter, from typewriter to phones, from phones, TV, from TV to VCR, DVDs, to computers, to cell phones, to the internet, to social media resources, to the point where I'm like, how do I put in a brick walkway in the front of my house? I type that in on YouTube, and there's like 30 tutorials that are going to teach me step by step. Now, all this modern human advancement has occurred largely to, to, to the ability to communicate and exchange ideas. These foundational stones that humanity has created has produced an order. I mean, we're no longer, you know, uh, the brutes that are running through the, the wilderness, as I think Thomas Hobbes once said, the English philosopher. There's order to our, to our societies. There's stability to our society. But what's so funny is that time and time again, man is in fact reminded that our foundational stones are actually quite fragile. There's a lot of fragility to them. Let's just take a look at just the last couple months. And, and um, this is the way it works. We're reminded how fragile they are. Mankind comes up with a solution. They're no longer fragile again, and we forget. 
But they're fragile because they're made by man. Let's take a look. I told you, this, this, is, a, this is a more mature word because this, I think, is very important for the days we're living in. Let's just take a look at the stability and the foundation stone of healthcare. The glories of science, the glories of human innovation, the glories of medicine. Well, isn't that funny? Healthcare, the pursuit of the longevity of life on this planet. And like that, COVID-19, which put the fear of death back into man. No treatment, no cure except for the body's natural ability to create a cure, right, with, with its own pathogens, or antibodies. Really freaky, it can be spread while people are asymptomatic. We're reminded that even our healthcare systems are not as stable as we thought they were. Stock market. Uh, what was it? It was almost uh, 30,000 points, right? Yeah, it was about 30,000, 29 something. And just like that, went down to 18. 18951, I think. And it's going back up because it always does, and people forget how fragile things are. Social tension. Race relations. I had a struggle with this this week. Well, if I say Black Lives Matter as a statement, not necessarily as a political organization, but if I say that Black Lives Matter, because they do. Does that now mean that I'm saying that all lives don't matter? I mean, if I say that blue lives matter, because they do, does it mean that I'm not saying that black lives matter? No, I am. You can be both. You could be for all that. But you see how the wordsmith and the media and the devil himself like that. Whew. Brings division, brings confusion, brings even doubting. Can I even declare that a black lives matter of how it's going to be perceived? Can I declare that blue lives matter because, oh my gosh, how will it be perceived by other people? Three weeks ago, I'm not really worried about these things. But in an instant, even the things that seem to be good and righteous and peaceful and equitable can become fragile in an instant. Because man makes them and not God. I'm telling you, this is, this is like an end times message, kind of. And so we have these things, healthcare, stock market, societal tension. We realize that once again, oh yeah, oh yeah, unemployment rate, 4.4 to 14.7. Uh, we realize uh, that once again, uh, that we are living in this age actually of fragility, whether you know it or not. So let's, let's go. I told you, this is, this is a different word. This is, this is like, we need to get this, man. Let's, uh, let, let's talk about some things here. Um, uh, let's, let's read now Isaiah 28. This is a beautiful passage. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, 
let's talk about the living stone now. Let's, let's forget about all of the foundation and all of the safety nets and all of the grids that mankind has made to create stability. And let's talk about the only thing that's going to create stability. And the question it remains is, which, which foundation stone do you really build your life on? Now, you could tell me a couple months ago, I built my life on Jesus, and then fragility happens, and now where are you? Are you scared? Are you afraid? Are you shut in? Are you now living this life of, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? You speak about the, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, black or white, only one in Messiah, but then there's racial tension, where are you now? Where are you now? You could be building your foundations on those things which appear to be good and noble. But if they're made by man, rug could be pulled right out. And now you're lost. And you're questioning, and you're doubting, and you don't know what's going on. Let's go back to the text. Uh, Isaiah 28, Yeshiahu. 28 verse 16, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone <clears throat> for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet or the plumb line. The hail will sweep away the refuge of lies. Oh, I love that. Lies are going. And the waters will overflow the hiding place. So, what we have here is this. Oh, I guess I need to explain this for those that are not in construction. I have that in my notes. All right. Measuring line, plumb line, what's going on? Here's the way it works. All right. So, on, on the right-hand side, we have a cornerstone. Right. This is a big block that is laid down essentially on the foundation or near the foundation to ensure that the rest of the blocks are linking up in a 90-degree angle, okay? It's like an ancient uh, carpenter's square. I don't know if anyone's ever used one of these, but this tells you if something is square or not, right? Like, oh, look, it's not square because there's a gap, right? You put it in a corner and you tell if something is an appropriate right angle or not. That's like an ancient carpenter's square. You need to have a completely flush and perfect right angle or the rest of the building is going to be out of skew. Or skewed, whatever it is, right? Skewed, I guess. Square, yeah, it's out of square, but it will be skewed or whatever it is. So what we have here is on the left is something that you probably know less of, and this is called a uh, plumb line. Scripture talks about plumb lines a lot. If you want to hear some fire words about plumb lines, you've got to talk to Jamie. Maybe we can have you preach on that next time you're around to do that teach on the plumb line. It's a very, very powerful concept. Uh, and it's a construction concept. Plumb line is, right, is a weight essentially on a string, and it makes sure things are plumb. Plumb would be like it's not the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Leaning Tower of Pisa, boom, not plumb. Plumb is, right? So squares or levels and then plumb, okay? Uh, and so that is uh, what's going on here. And so this is what I thought the Lord was just saying during the craziness of life right now. It's this. Largely, the systems that man have, has made over the years have, in fact, not been built on the living stone. Right? We have a living stone and we have a plumb line. Plumb line righteousness and justice. Cornerstone, which is Jesus. 
First Peter, right? Build on the cornerstone or the living stone. And so if we take a look at this, like I said, systems that mankind has made may not have actually been built on the living stone and the plumb line of Jesus. And so I want to go through a little examples of this. For example, uh, first one, the economy. Look, if it is not, if the economy and your business commerce actions are not based on the gospel, then it will be threatened by greed, corruption, Evervescent prophets, without taking into consideration the naked, the widow, the poor, or the orphan. If it's not rooted in the gospel, it, the greed is there. Look, economy is good. Stock market is cool. I invest in the stock market. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's not an evil thing. But greed is. And corruption is. And not thinking about those that are, 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 are struggling. That is a problem if you call yourself a follower of Christ. Second one, which is probably going to raise a little bit more tension. The equality of people. If the equality of people, races, male and female, socioeconomics, whatever it may be, if it is only rooted in natural law, for those of you that are not history students, natural law was what, what was laid out for the Constitution. Like, we hold these truths to be self-evident. There is a certain law that is natural to man of equality. It's a very philosophical, deist approach of why there should be equality. If you believe that people should be equal underneath only that law and not the gospel, I'm telling you right now, when there is an age of fragility, the thought process of the equality of people will be threatened by fear, power, corruption, and even jealousy and covetousness. If you only see love for your brother because it's equality under law because of natural law by government systems living on sign of a social contract, right? those people out there know what the heck I'm talking about, you are going to falter. Because when I look at a group of people, and that group of people, not all of them, but one of them has wronged me, it doesn't matter what side of the color spectrum you are. You immediately default to your animalistic instincts. And you begin to group all people together. But if you first see people as made in the image of God, and I see you as an equal, not because the Constitution says it, because Jesus says it. I can't lump you in with anyone. But we get confused. You think. You think. You think you've made your life on these issues, on the foundation stones of Christ, but you haven't. And you know if you haven't, once the age of fragility comes, where you go? Where does your heart go? Where does your mind go? Where does your action go? You know what I'm saying? Ah, if that wasn't sensitive enough, let's get more sensitive. I told you, a mature word. This is a mature word. Political views. Oh, my Lord! Yes, I just went there. I got a very cool history lesson to teach you on that. Political views. If your political view is not rooted in the gospel, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat on this one, or Green Party, Constitution Party, Communist, or Libertarian. 
I don't care where you are on the political spectrum. I, I, I'm gone. I really don't care. I'm telling you this. If it is not rooted, your political opinion is not rooted in the gospel, when an age of fragility comes, you will be threatened by very dark things. You will be threatened by self-justification. You will be threatened by ego. You will be threatened by coercion, manipulation, and obtaining salvation through the government. Come on, you just go on Facebook. How many born-again, spirit-filled believers have the incessant urge to self-justify their opinion? Now, I'm all for it. I'm, like, my day gig is a social studies teacher. I teach government and law. I am all about exercising your rights. I am all about you speaking what you feel. But I'm telling you right now, if that is over a foundation stone that is not the gospel, don't say you're a Christian. Do not friend me. Or do not like our, 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 our church wall. Because, like, you have to first identify yourself as a follower of Christ. And then everything else is filtered out of it and will be displayed with love. Newsflash Jesus is not coming back to Washington, D.C., He's coming to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. I am all for interceding for our nation. I am all for voting in accordance to our spiritual consciousness. Or conscientiousness, I should say. I was saying this the other night. You understand. It's all going to burn. The Constitution of the United States of America is going to burn. And the only thing that will remain is his word, the logos, the divine reason, the new heavens are going to come down, and a new Jerusalem is going to come down, a new earth. So what are you putting your attention into? Yes, come on, you're, you're American, you have the right. Amen. People have died for that right. But you better stinking make sure what you're doing and why you're doing it. Because you actually may be thinking and trying to display a Christian understanding on planet Earth via the government instead of via the cross. Wow. And if you do it via the government instead of the cross, Come on. My Lord. that's called a Pharisee. That's called you know, religions trying to create political structures to maintain power. But when you do it through Jesus and you do it through the cross, there's no argument. It's a mature word, and, and, and if it's rubbing you the wrong way, I understand it. It's mature. Words of maturity do that. Right? I mean, pray to Jesus, and he's going to give you everything you want. Now tithe in the basket. Church grows fast that way. I'll be next week. How do you get rich quick, and how do you get everything you want? Because of the blood of Jesus. That's a joke, which actually uh, leads us into other things, uh, another, other pieces. Uh, you know, we have a lot of people here. We've been blessed by a lot of people here being involved in church ministries, and power church ministries. It's so awesome, and we're so blessed. Uh, and this is not directed at them. It's really directed at all of us, how we see church ministry and how we see the church itself. Uh, if 
it is not rooted on the real gospel, uh, then we will be tempted to sell your version of the gospel. And then you move into a place of belittling others. You become hyper-focused on your part in the body, and you neglect the roles and the beauty of the other aspects of the body. Let's take a look at uh, another one, uh, the last one, salvation. Uh, if your salvation is rooted on foundation stones of man, uh, that would be one where um, it is rooted in a, essentially in a place of self-help and only prosperity. Does the Lord want to help you? Yes. Amen. Does the Lord want to prosper you? Yes. Amen. But if you build that entire theology off of just that, I'm telling you right now, everything's fine until an age of fragility. And when an age of fragility comes, you now are going to be threatened by trial, tribulation, and storm. And you're not going to know what the, hell, what the heck to do. Sorry. I didn't mean that. I slipped out. You're not going to know what to do. Sorry. Sorry. Now you know what the heck to do. This is the thing, guys. What I'm trying to display here is this. Mankind, since the agrarian revolution, has done a very good job creating stability, essentially. And we've had things, of course, but for the most part, man, things have been stable. So we think. And they're stable until a, a rocking comes, and it's stable until a shaking comes. And then you realize what you've built your life on. I mean, straight up Jesus. And so simply put, right, we, 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 we can have this tragedy that happens when we live in this age of fragility. What's the time like? I, I have no idea what's going on right now. All right. I, and it's just, it's a lot of crazy, there, there's, a lot, you know, like, there's a lot of crazy stuff on the pages, so I'm just like, yeah, is, it okay? is, is it sitting? This is, a hard, this is a hard word, man. This is a hard, this is a hard word. All right, so let's, let's, let's talk about these foundation stones and, and, and another way to try to explain things. And, and, and for the pilots out there, anyone a pilot? Anyone a sailor? All right, for the sailors and pilots, you may know this. It's, it's known as the 1 in 60 rule. Okay? The 1 in 60 rule is this. If you are in building, and I did this with my, uh, my, my wood flooring that I was putting in like a couple weeks ago. Like wood flooring, you go up against the, the wall that you can put the wood flooring in and you have to have all the wood flooring perfectly square. If it is off, like tilted like, if it's tilted like this, ready? That much. Like, like just the littlest bit, you can't even see. You cannot see it. It's like, boop, you can't tell. By the time you get to the end of your wood flooring, it's like, it just like completely like slants like a drunken sailor. You're like, what the? It was perfect. No, because you didn't use a you didn't use a plumb line, or rather, in this case, a square. So here's the one in the sixty rule. It's this. Uh, it's it's a, a rule that sailors and pilots do when they're navigating. It's this: if you're at a certain point and you're only, 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 only one degree off in your projection, what happens? One degree. If you're one degree off in your navigation, or if you're building wood flooring, if you're one degree off, within one foot, you're already 0.2 inches off. Wow. If you're one degree off, after one mile of that journey, you're 92.2 feet off. 
All right, so when we get into this with planes and with boats that are going far distances, it's the one in 60 rule. If you're one degree off after 60 miles, you will be an entire mile off. That's one degree, not two degrees, not three degrees off. It's like beep, one degree. Uh, after after uh, what, 120 miles, you're going to be, because of a one to 60 rule, you're going to be two miles off. Now, that's a lot. Now, if we expand this, if you're going from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., and you're one degree off on your first step, by the time you get to D.C., you're not seeing D.C., you're seeing Baltimore 46 miles away. If you're going to the moon, 4,169 miles off. One degree. Not 1.5, not 2, not 3. One degree. And I've seen it this week. I meant it, I meant it in the spirit and in society. But okay. It's all good. That's, that's great. I love it. I, I love this place. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27. Uh, now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. What we have here is this, guys. Uh, the Lord is going to shake everything that needs to be shaken and everything that needs to be torn down. Uh, and if it's only one degree off, it needs to be torn down. Uh, Jeremiah 1.10 is this. Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. If we have the worship team. Come on down, please. What we have here is this. Uh, I is God. You is Jeremiah. He, God says unto Jeremiah, I have set you over nations and kingdoms. Why? To root out, to pull down, to destroy and to throw down. To dismantle, to shake, to take the structure and knock it down, to rebuild and replant. If you are building a structure that is not plumb, just tear it down and start over. You can't like refudge it. You can't refix it. If something's off by a degree, you've got to rip up all of the flooring and you've got to start all over again. And this is what's going on in the spirit. To build, you need to shake and tear down the first structure. And I'm telling you that in the West, Christians have largely, not all of us, but have largely built structures that seem and appear to be good that is simply one degree off. And it's totally fine when you're up close. But over time and over years and over decades and when things are being shaken, it's going to fall. Come on, man. I saw it all this week. Too many people and too many churches like talking and teaching about the building and the planting. Build this up in your life. Plant this in your life in the spirit. Oh, man. But if you're off, by one degree, what's going to happen? We need to talk that there comes a time in your Christian walk where you've got to take the cornerstone out. You've got to take the plumb line out. What have I built my life on? Where and what have I built my view on? Why do I have this opinion 
Where does it come from? Is it built on a news station? Is it built on a political party? Is it built on experiences? Or is it built on the righteousness of Christ? Now, baby Christians are not worried about this. When mature in the faith, you do. Look, we have no authority speaking into the foundation stones of our society if we have not first allowed Jesus to tear down and rebuild the foundation stones in our own life. I want to impact Philadelphia. I want to impact Bristol. I want to impact America. Bro, sister, tear down anything that has been built that even appears to be maybe good and righteous if it is not founded on the Christ, the gospel, the cornerstone, which is known as Jesus. Now, now, look, 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 I'm, I'm telling you, this is what's going on in your mind right now. Right now, I'm telling you, this is what's happening. No, 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 I have. I have built my life on the foundation of Christ. I know, but are you one degree off? Now, one degree off seems to be totally what? Good and right, and it looks right, and it feels right, and so looks right, and so feels right. But all you got to do is go one foot, point two inches. Amen. All you got to do is go one mile, and you're like, clearly, you're not. And that only happens when the foundation stones of the world are being dismantled, and the only thing you have left is Jesus. And then you realize, where were you really? So where are you really? Have you really laid those things down and gotten that plumb and square? Have I really done that? No. I mean, be free. Like, I haven't. <laughs> I'm working on it. But I haven't. And I think this is, this is, this, this is, what's, this, this, this is really the, the piece here. It is easy to confuse the foundation stones of Christ, which first transforms people and then society with the foundation stones that man has created to provide a false stability. It is so easy, man, to confuse it because it's stable and it seems to be righteous and it seems and appears to be good. Oh, it is. Until there's a shaking. Until things are fragile. Until you're face to face with real, legitimate issues in your society and in your life. And you're like, wow, now I really know. If I put more faith in the Republican Party or more faith in the Democratic Party than I do on the gospel of Jesus to bring forth change and transformation. And so to take a look, and we're going to hopefully wind down a little bit, or definitely. There are some, uh, these, these are ways to take a look at things. You know, I, I can just say this, but now a little teaching here. Like, how do we know? Here are some typical trouble spots to see if you're like one degree off. Uh, first trouble spot, huge, identity. Do you identify yourself first as a bondservant of Christ and a son, or do you first... Identify yourself as a hyphen. I'm a German-American. I'm a Hispanic-American. I'm a Cuban-American. I'm an Italian-American. I'm a Black-American. I'm a Hispanic-American. Now, those are cool things. 
And there are things that are, are, that, that are beautiful. Diversity is very beautiful. But what do you identify yourself as? First. You identify yourself first as the political party? Or as a bondservant of Christ? And what that means. And you know what you identify yourself with once the trouble comes. Once, the, the, once your backbone gets the tingles and you feel the, the need to justify, you now know who you identify yourself with primarily. I don't have to justify anything. Jesus is my justification. I don't have to justify my political opinions because all things are to flow out of Christ and He, the living stone, and His righteousness. Uh, another, another one uh, would be uh, ego. Do you have to be right before man? Do you have to be the center of attention? Or do you allow Jesus to justify? Do you take all of your energies and point people to the cross and not to the social identity group or a church or a ministry? All things lead to Christ. Uh, another thing is comfort. Do you use the scriptures and your relationship with him to only bring you a life of ease? Wow. Or do you desire to be transformed into his image? And closing up, it's this. Why am I so serious? Why am I talking about this? Why am I just speaking forth the touchy-feelies? There's a couple reasons. And I, I want you, please, I, I'm just begging you right now. I know it may be a little longer for some of you. It may even be a little longer for us. I don't even know. But I, I, I need you to just wrestle right now. I need you to plug in right now. I need you to take a look at this because I don't know how many in the Western church are really teaching this. And there's actually another reason why I'm being serious with this stuff, and it's this. Whether you know it or not, a storm is a brewing, and a storm is a coming. Matthew 24, known as the Olivet Discourse, explains the beginnings of the birth pains of the return of Jesus. Let's read and see if any of this seems familiar, not to our society. Forget about our society. Does any of this sound like you? Matthew 24, verse 5. This is Jesus speaking. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Now, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the deliverer. Many will come saying, I or this thing is the thing of delivery. Doesn't have to be a person. It could be an idea. This political movement will be your salvation. Many will come and say that they will be the ones that will bring your salvation. Antichrist spirit does not have to be a being. In this sense, I mean, in the Revelation it is, but in this sense, the spirit of an Antichrist can be anything that says that they or it will deliver you and provide the salvation. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of the sorrows, the beginnings of the birth pains. 
then they will deliver you up to tribulation to kill you. Okay. Great. Uh, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. All nations. Not all nations except the West. All nations will hate you for my namesake. And the many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Just break it down so you know what we're talking about. The storm is coming, and in the storm of the age of fragility, what will happen? Many people will be offended. How many of you in the last week, in the last two weeks, have been offended? By something in the media, something in politics, something that is residing on planet Earth. Many will be offended. People will betray one another. There'll be hate. There'll be false prophets and messages that will lead to deceit. Any message. You need to get this. Any message. Bad or appearingly good. He disguises himself as an angel of light. Any message that is bad or even appears to be good that is not rooted in the gospel, is not rooted in Jesus, is not rooted in the kingdom of heaven, it is deceit. But it looks good. I know it looks good. But it only needs to be one degree off. And if it's one degree off and it's not rooted on the living stone of Jesus Christ, it may appear good now, but a couple weeks from now, a couple months from now, it's going to be a mess, right? Last bit here is lawlessness. Love will grow cold. Wickedness shall be there. How many people in the church I've just seen getting their, their cages rattled and there's, there's an element of lawlessness and an element of their love growing cold and an element of, of, of judgment. But oh, what does he say at the end? But he who endures will be saved. Why don't we stand? But he who endures will be saved. Come on. There'll be wickedness. There'll be lawlessness. There'll be false prophets and, and false Christ and say, if you just do this and think this, this will provide salvation for you. But don't listen. But endure. But how do we endure? We endure when we lay our foundation stones on the cornerstone that is Christ. The kingdom of men, no matter how good or how bad, will, will, will falter. Nothing will remain but His Word in the kingdom that descends from heaven. Yes, vote according to what you feel the Lord is doing. Yes, be a people of influence. But I'm telling you, make sure your energies are placed on a living stone. It'll appear to be good, but I'm telling you, it takes not much time it'd be so off so off and I'm telling you we see it in our age we see it in our day right now oh Jesus 1 Peter 2 therefore 
Therefore, laying aside all malice, all hate, not some hate, all hate, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking. As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, the cornerstone. Verse 9, a continuation of this motif, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into a marvelous light, who were once not a people but are now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy but now have attained mercy. Now, I, I, Beloved, he says, beloved, I beg you, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. You're not even of this planet, man. I beg you as journeymen, as pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And I'm telling you that there is a lot of fleshly lust that appears to be righteous and good, but it's a degree off. It's totally a degree off. Lord, we come before you, and I just pray that this, you know, a little bit more mature word would just lay on fertile ground, Lord. Lord, that there would not be a spirit of condemnation, but there would be a spirit of a holy warning that is going out to the church. Because, let's just be real, this little age of fragility that we're living in is nothing. Absolutely, ridiculously jokingly, pathetically, nothing like how things will be when we really get towards the end of the age. This is a joke. And so, Lord, we just ask, we want to get our foundations right now. We want to be in, in accordance to the plumb line of your Holy Spirit and your love of the Lord, Lord. We want to build our lives on the cornerstone that is Christ. Lord, I pray right now that everything, everything, church ministry, political ideas, finances, every single thing, Lord, would be built on the rock that is Jesus. Father, I pray for an exposure right now in the Spirit. Lord, if there are people here that are, that, that have, are just simply one little tiny degree off, one little degree. I know with one little degree, it looks pretty. It looks good. But I'm telling you, over the long period of time, it's going to be, it's going to falter because it's deceit. It's not of Jesus. It's not of his righteousness. It's not of his cross. So Lord, Father, I pray right now, release that right now. Release wisdom and discernment for the things in our life that need to be rooted on the cornerstone of Christ. Pray that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let it be so. Oh, Lord, we want to get it right now. Before things get even crazier one day, Lord. We want to get it right now, Lord. We want to build our lives on you now, oh God. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of worship. Feel free to, to remain. Feel free to just leave whenever you feel fit and just encourage you if you have a tithe or an offering to put it in the basket. The ushers will be in the back of the room. Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you Wednesday and or Friday on our Zoom meetings. Be blessed.